0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day you happen to be joining us. If you are doing it like my family, uh, still having designated church on Sunday morning, having the kids sit down, um, that's what we're trying to do as a family. And uh, next week, I'm going to be giving some thoughts on doing uh, family worship, to still make church a priority where you sit down, you do church together as a family. Even though it looks different, you're on the couch, you might be in your pajamas, you might have a cup of coffee, but still make worship a priority. And I'm going to have some, some thoughts on, uh, on how to do that and uh, to still make that a part of your regular week together with your children or your spouse or whoever is in your household. And now if you don't already have your Bibles, uh, please grab that as well. I'll also just mention here that uh, the offering though we're not passing the plate like we normally can, we still want to encourage you to have the opportunity to give of your tithes and offerings. And so we have two ways right now that you can do that. Uh, The one way is you can fill out a check, make it out to Clarny Mennonite Church, put it in the mailbox, uh, address it to Clarny Mennonite Church, Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K1G0, and it will get to us that way through the mail. The other way is you can still come to the church Uh, In person and drop your offering off here. There is an offering box in the foyer, and during the office hours of Tuesday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., the church will be open uh, where you can come in if you don't have a church key of your own. So please uh, still continue to uh, give of your tithes and offerings as we serve the Lord and advance His kingdom together. I now invite you to take those Bibles and let's have our scripture reading. It's taken from Matthew chapter 26 and verses 36 to 46. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. When he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we unite our hearts in prayer as we lift it up to you from our various locations. Uh, Our first prayer this morning is that uh, as we gather, may we still sense the unity of your spirit drawing us together as we worship you. Uh, It's a challenging time that we are in, Lord, as we are not able to join together in one place as the fellowship of believers, and so we ask, Holy Spirit, do what only you can as you bind us together in spirit and in purpose and in unity. We thank you that you are able to do this. And so, Lord, we, of course, lift our prayers to the concerns of the world around us as we continue to face uh, a crisis, and we... We are perplexed at times, and I find in myself sometimes struggling of knowing how to pray, what to ask for. And so, Lord, it's at times like that where we know to pray simply according to your will uh, is, is the best way to pray. And so we do pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, as we, as we consider the trials our world is facing, we pray, Lord, for those directly affected uh, in, in the health uh, of, of being infected with COVID-19, uh, for those who have lost loved ones from it and for those who are seeking to treat it. We pray, Lord, that you would lay a hand there and that you would provide the solution. Uh, Lord, it's so easy for man to be wise in his own eyes and we think we can solve our own problems and, and, and yet we know that only you are able to provide the answers and so we ask for that wisdom, Lord. We pray for our government officials uh, we pray that you would give them wisdom in the difficult decisions they make in these times, and we pray, Lord, uh, that the day will come where the, the uh, health issues will be dealt with and that measures that have been taken to, to stem the, the spread of the virus, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to return to, to the freedom of assembly, to worship together, uh, and the other freedoms that for so long we've taken for granted. And yet, Lord, now we find uh, ourselves... Uh, facing times of being alone and isolated and so we pray lord for this time to end as quickly as possible we pray for the strength to endure and to be and to be patient during this time and we pray lord as well that we would see the silver lining in all of this where we see the time of your return drawing ever closer and so we pray that that would fill us with a sense of hope and also of urgency lord that we would be about the, the work of spreading your gospel in whatever way that we are able And so we pray, Lord, that as this word goes out and as countless other sermons are are spread out through the online world, through the internet, we pray, Lord, that your word would find fertile ground, that hearts would hear it, receive it, and turn to you in hope, in faith. And we pray that there would be many who come to salvation in these times. And so we pray, Lord, to that end this morning. Uh, We pray that you would bless this word as we hear it today. I ask that you would speak through me, your servant, and that the words would be yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon I've entitled, Praying in Times of Crisis. Praying in Times of Crisis. Nineteen-year-old Private James Steagles would jolt awake each day into his living nightmare the front lines of the Vietnam War. Each day in combat brought with it the very real prospect of sudden death or worse, being maimed, blinded, burned, or some terrible combination of all three. Day after day, he would see his buddies cut down around him and terror building within him. All the while, the god he grew up being taught about seemed very, very far away. However, Jim still carried in his shirt pocket the small Gideon New Testament that he'd been given, though he couldn't bring himself to read it. His 20th birthday came and went, and then his 21st birthday. In just over a year of combat, he'd lost track of all of the many buddies that he'd lost and all of the death that he'd seen. Finally, he reached his breaking point, and he knew that he just couldn't go on anymore. So on the morning of February 26th, 1968, Jim prayed for the first time in over a year, and he prayed for it all just to end. His heart then told him that this was his day. His time was up, and that he would be dead before dusk that very night. And sure enough, just a few hours later, his base came under fierce attack And then in the thick of battle, Jim's trained ear recognized the sound of a rocket coming straight towards his position. Three seconds to live, is what Jim told himself. And freezing there in place, he began the countdown in his head. Three, two, one. And just then, a friend dove across and shoved him into a grease pit. The rocket struck only a few feet away from his head, embedding itself in the embankment. Jim braced himself for the explosion, but it never came. Only a surreal silence hung momentarily in the air. The rocket's fuse had malfunctioned, and Jim was still alive. For another five hours, as the battle continued to rage on above him, down there in that pit, desperately jim began to pray like he had never prayed before in his life now today i want to speak with you about prayer in times of crisis now for myself and i suspect for the majority of the listening audience today we have not personally experienced the cruelty of warfare where life becomes so arbitrary and one's life can continually hang in the balance from one day to the next. But nonetheless, almost all of us have experienced some form of personal crisis. It could have been the sudden and shocking death of a loved one in some form of accident. It could have been the diagnosis of cancer for either yourself or a loved one. It could have been a time of severe depression leading to suicidal thoughts. It could have been the death of a spouse. Severe financial hardship. Perhaps being rejected and betrayed. The breakup of a close relationship. The death of a child. The list could go on almost indefinitely. But now regardless of whatever past crises you have personally faced, The fact is that right now, we are all, all of us, are facing an unprecedented global crisis. For today, our generation is being confronted by a a pandemic, health crisis. And with the subsequent responses to uh, eliminate the spread, is leading us now into an ever-increasing economic and social crisis. And suddenly, many of the personal freedoms and things that we've taken for granted almost our entire lives are gone. And we don't know when they're coming back. All we know for certain is that the future is uncertain. And to varying degrees, we are all feeling the pressure of this crisis. Now, though the circumstances of any crisis can vary wildly, what all crises have in common is the uncanny ability to drive us to our knees in prayer and there to cry out to God, and seek his face with an urgency that we don't have when times are easy. Throughout the Psalms, we see King David do this repeatedly, crying out to the Lord for help in times of crisis, in times when his enemies are all around him. Another great example of this is the prophet Jonah. He's crying out to the Lord for mercy and deliverance from within the belly of the great fish. But perhaps the most powerful example of all is our Lord Jesus' time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Turn with me now, once more, if you don't have your Bibles there already, to Matthew chapter 26. And there, to set the stage for the chapter in verses 1 and 2, we read this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples... As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now, we see here that the cross did not come upon Jesus by surprise. He knew it was coming. In fact, he knew it all along, and he tells his disciples that directly. In fact, Jesus knew that dying on the cross for the sins of the world was the very purpose for which he had come into the world. And yet, though Jesus was fully God, fully divine, he was also fully man. And so his human flesh and bone and spirit would still, just like each one of us, would still fear the prospect of facing prolonged physical agony and psychological torture upon the cross. You know, the ancient Romans had perfected all of these aspects of torture into the one terrifyingly simple act of crucifixion. And to this very day, crucifixion stands as the most terrible form of execution ever devised by human minds. It was designed to produce the maximum amount of shame, inflict the maximum amount of pain, and do it for the longest period of time. It was not uncommon for soldiers who were defeated by the Roman legions to crack under the pressure and kill themselves rather than be captured and face the prospect of death by crucifixion. But now consider that when facing the prospect of crucifixion, that even the bravest of men would be running away or even taking their own lives on Palm Sunday, As Jesus came up over the Mount of Olives, he rode towards Jerusalem and the cross, knowing full well that it was coming. And so now I want you to consider for a moment, what kind of pressure did Jesus as a full-fledged man, like any one of us, What kind of pressure did Jesus feel as he rode over the Mount of Olives and towards Jerusalem that Sunday? Oh sure, we know the story well. The crowds were cheering, waving palm branches, lying coats down on the road. It was a big parade, but in the middle of that, Jesus knew that very soon those cheers would turn to cries for blood. And the palm branches would be exchanged for Roman whips. And not only did Jesus carry with him the tremendous pressure of coming torture, but he also carried that incomprehensible burden of knowing that he would be taking the sins of the entire world upon himself. And knowing that in that moment, his father would have to turn his his face away from him. And Jesus would experience separation from his Father for the first time in all of time and eternity. And it is in the Garden of Gethsemane that we see all of these factors coming together to form the perfect storm, the moment of Jesus' greatest crisis, and the hanging in the balance, the history of the entire world, and whether or not we would receive salvation. It all comes to a focal point here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe that as we look closer at this account, there are some invaluable lessons that we can learn for ourselves in examining just how Jesus faced his personal moment of crisis. And so the first thing that I would bring to your attention today is this. Jesus' immediate response to crisis was prayer, Jesus' immediate response to crisis was prayer. Now, this seems obvious to us, but let's look at it a little bit more closely. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, in saying that Jesus' immediate response to crisis was prayer, I should also say that Jesus' immediate response to every situation was prayer. Whether it was good, bad, or otherwise, Jesus prayed. The parallel account in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, begins the story this way. It states, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now, as usual, Luke is making the point that this wasn't just an emergency 911 prayer session. In fact, Jesus going out to the peaceful garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives for a time of prayer, this was a regular thing for Jesus to do. As usual, Jesus went out to pray. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we likewise see Jesus getting away to spend devoted time in prayer as a regular part of his daily life. Now, far too often, I know at least for myself, I am a lot less like Jesus and a lot more like Jim in the opening story, where my first response is to try everything in my own power to solve my own problems and sort of view prayer as a last resort. Now, later on in the account, we see that when the soldiers did come to arrest Jesus, in verse 51, that good old self-reliant Peter, well, he pulls out his sword and he slices off the ear of a temple servant. Why? Well, you see, Peter had been sleeping when he should have been praying. And so, Peter tries to fight a spiritual battle with a carnal weapon. And that is the futility of trying to fight our own battles with only our own resources. We are fighting unseen spiritual forces without the help of God in prayer. And until all else has failed, we won't seek the Lord. It's that old Rescue 911 approach to prayer. We only call in an emergency. But for Jesus, it wasn't like that at all. The line of communication between himself and the Father was always open 24-7, and he would make sure that he would have devoted time to be completely alone with his Father. Of course, he would pray and commune throughout the day, as we all can, but he made sure that there was a devoted, dedicated hour set aside where he could be alone to concentrate in prayer and communication with his Father. This wasn't just a 911 call. This was something he did regularly, daily. So for us, the lesson is don't wait only for times of crisis to pray. Make seeking God in prayer your first response to every situation and a regular part of your daily life. Now secondly, we see that Jesus sought the prayer support of close friends. Matthew 26, verses 37 to 38. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, if anyone had what it took to face an extreme crisis utterly alone, it was Jesus. But he doesn't. He chooses not to face this time of crisis alone. He chooses to share his burdens with a circle of close friends. And I believe Jesus here is demonstrating for us and teaching us something incredibly important. He is teaching us the value of carrying each other's burdens in prayer together as we go through life. Now notice that he doesn't share his request and his personal crisis with everyone of the 12. Most of them stay a little, you know, at the, maybe at the entrance of the garden, and it's only his inner circle of Peter, James, and John, who he says, come with me further into the garden. Be with me. I don't want to carry this alone. And so Jesus isn't saying that we need to broadcast our struggles to the whole world, but he is demonstrating that we need to develop a few close friendships with fellow believers, where we can seek prayer support for no matter what comes. And yet, even as I say this, I I wonder, why is it that I so often find in myself the thought that I must bear my burdens alone? I'll even sometimes justify it to myself by saying, well, I just don't want to burden anyone else with my troubles. But honestly, the deeper motive can often be that I don't want someone to think less of me or think that I'm weak by knowing my struggle. But do we see Jesus keeping a stiff upper lip and hiding his struggle from his disciples for fear that they'll think less of him? Absolutely not. Here we see Jesus transparently sharing this most monumental prayer request with his disciples, even going so far as to tell them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And, and the Hebrew, pardon me, the, the Greek word for sorrow, it, it can be translated to mean terror on all sides. And so what Jesus is, is telling his disciples, he's opening up to his very soul and he's saying, my soul feels terror on all sides to the point of death. And so if Jesus sought the prayer support of close friends in his time of crisis and was open and transparent with them? What makes us think that we can, you know, just tough it out and handle our problems alone? In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us clearly, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is taking this example of Christ and he says, this isn't just a suggestion, it's the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and jesus example for us is a life of personal prayer and a life of shared prayer bearing one another's burdens and if and if we do this as jesus did we will all benefit in following his example now thirdly we see jesus prayed in full honesty Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus prays to his Father and he says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And here we can almost see and, and feel Jesus' struggle. His human flesh is crying out against the high cost that had to be paid. It's just it's resisting that shame and the humiliation and the pain and the and the death of becoming a sin offering for us. There's, there's a resistance, and boy, in our flesh, we get it. Who of us would want to endure and go through something like that? And remember, Jesus wasn't just thinking about the nails piercing his hands and his feet, because remember, in his death. He would be taking on the sin of all humanity. As Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 tells us, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. You see, the weight upon his shoulders wasn't physical weight. It was the weight of of your sin and mine. In plain words, it's our fault. Our sins sent him to the cross. These words by Max Licado in his book, And the Angels Were Silent, describes the scene well. He writes, The final encounter of the battle has begun. As Jesus looks at the city of Jerusalem, he sees what the disciples can't. He sees the evil one preparing for the final encounter. Hell is breaking loose. History records it as a battle of the Jews against Jesus. It wasn't. It was a battle of God against Satan. And Jesus knew it. He knew that before the war was over, he would be taken captive. He knew that before victory would come defeat... He knew that before the throne would come the cup. He knew that before the light of Sunday would come the blackness of Friday. And he is afraid. You see, Jesus in his flesh did not want to go to the cross. And there was no covering it up or acting tough. Jesus honestly, transparently says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If there's any other way, Lord, I want it. And what we see here is total transparency and honesty. Jesus shares what is really and truly on his heart. So as we come to the Father in prayer in times of crisis, don't feel the need to act tough. Jesus didn't. Simply share your struggles with the Lord in full honesty. Bear your heart before him, just as Jesus did. Now, fourthly, we see Jesus demonstrate that God's strength flies to us through our prayer. Verse 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, Jesus said this to his disciples because they were sleepy, they were sorrowful, they were afraid. And he, and he tells them, Watch and pray. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so to receive the strength necessary to gain victory over temptation, we need to pray. It's not optional. It's essential. The disciples, the only way that they could overcome the temptation of that time was to, as Jesus said, watch and pray. But they chose sleep over prayer. But now the question must be asked, how exactly... Did that strength fly to Jesus in response to his prayers? Well, turn with me to the parallel account once more in Luke 22, verse 43. And there, Luke gives this astounding detail. And he writes that following Jesus' plea to the Father, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Now, talk about receiving uh, divine strength straight from heaven in Matthew chapter four, verse eleven. We see that following Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness at that time, angels also came and strengthened him, following that ordeal. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had a, a moment in your life where you, where you just had this feeling that someone or something outside of yourself, something greater than yourself, something unseen, was just there. You know, it might have been right after the crucial moment of a major decision that you had been wrestling with, where you finally know that you you did the right thing, even though it was hard. Or perhaps it was at that moment right after you've just avoided a major car accident, but you still don't know how you avoided it. And you just have this feeling that something else was going on that you have no idea what happened. I know I've been there. Now, for the child of God, we don't need to dismiss those moments as just mere figments of our imagination. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that God's angels are sent to serve God's children. And you know, I truly believe, I'm convinced, that once this life is over, and if God allows us to replay our lives from heaven's point of view, I think we will be absolutely astonished, astounded, to see all of the many times that angels were sent from heaven's throne to strengthen us. For just as they were sent for Jesus, so too, God's word tells us that they are sent to attend to us in our times of need, and to be strengthened. Incredible. We don't know exactly what and how prayer works. All we know is that it does, and that perhaps right now, right where you're sitting, as you're lifting your prayers up to the Lord, whatever you're facing, whatever crisis is in your life, there could be an angel attending you even now. It's astonishing to think that God cares about us that much, and yet he does. He cares for us just as he cares for his only begotten son and attended to him in his time of need. And so we see, through our prayers, heaven's strength flies to us, and perhaps even in celestial form. Now fifth, we see here that Jesus' prayer led to submission To the Father. Jesus' prayer led to submission. Matthew 26, verse 42, we read, He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Continuing once more from Max Licato's book, And the Angels Were Silent, he writes, Jesus knows what it's like to beg God to change his mind, and to hear God so gently but firmly say no. For that is what God says to Jesus, and Jesus accepts the answer. This is the most perfect example of submission ever given or ever will be given. Jesus desired to achieve the will of his Father more Than the desire to achieve his own will, regardless of the suffering that that would entail. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, says, To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. You see, my friends, prayer is not intended to align God to our will. Prayer is intended and designed to align us to God's will. And yes, his will might sometimes involve suffering. But in the end, it is always for our good and God's glory. It's been beautifully said the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And so, now, sixthly, we see that Jesus' prayer was the springboard for action. Jesus' prayer was the springboard for action. Matthew 26, 45-46. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We see that these are no longer words of doubt or fear or of uncertainty. These are now words of clear strength and determination for action. Rise, let us go. All uncertainty has been removed. The course is set. Jesus would drink the cup of suffering to the bitter last drop. And in so doing, the course of all humanity, all history was determined right then and there in that battle at Gethsemane the world would be saved. Salvation would flow rich and free. And so we could be saved because Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. And that prayer of submission became the springboard for his action to stand up and say, I will face my betrayer head on. I will face the, the, the whips and the accusations of the enemy head on. And I will face death and Satan himself head on and go into the grave. All of this action came from the springboard of prayer. Max Licato concludes, The battle is won. You may have thought it was won on Golgotha, but it wasn't. You may have thought the sign of victory is the empty tomb, but it isn't. The final battle was already won in Gethsemane. And the sign of conquest is Jesus at peace in the olive trees. For it was there in the garden that he made his decision. The course was set. And this was all achieved through the mighty avenue of prayer. And so may we follow Jesus' example. To respond to everything in prayer. Secondly, to seek the prayer support of close friends. Thirdly, to pray in full honesty and transparency fourth to remember that god's strength flies to us through the avenue of prayer fifth that prayer leads us to alignment and submission to the father's will and finally that prayer becomes the springboard for action and obedience to the father as we conclude i'd return you now to the vietnam war and where we last left Jim kneeling in that pit, desperately praying like he had never prayed before. And there, finally, with quivering hand, he reached for the Gideon's New Testament in his pocket. He pulled it out and he began to read, beginning in Matthew. And he, and he began at chapter 1 and he, and he kept reading. And he later recounts. When I read Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 to 20... I somehow knew right then that things would be all right. And it was long after Jim returned home following the war, as he visited his wife's grandmother, Mrs. Harris. She told him of a night years before when she had awakened in terror. Knowing Jim was in Vietnam, she had sensed he was in trouble, and she began praying for God to spare his life. Unable to kneel because of arthritis, she had lain prone on the floor, praying and reading her Bible all night long. And just before dawn, she had read Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 to 20, which reads, If two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And she immediately then called her Sunday school teacher who got out of bed, went over to Mrs. Harris's house where together they continued in prayer claiming the Lord's promise as they prayed for Jim. And they prayed until finally in their spirits they sensed peace. And having told Jim this incredible story, Mrs. Harris then opened her Bible to show him where she had marked the passage that night. And there in the margin were the words Jim February 26th 1968 It was the exact same date and time that Jesus had that part of me that Jim had prayed to die but God had another plan God had a plan for his good for his rescue and for his salvation My friends it's very true that our world is in a time of crisis and none of us are immune to its effects. But as a child of God, we have the mighty avenue of prayer, a direct line of contact from our hearts and our minds and our lips to heaven's throne and to God's ear. And it's available to us right now. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, however you're being affected by what's going on in the world, whatever your other personal crises may be, this avenue of prayer is available for you. And God is listening. He is eager to hear from your heart right now today. So instead of looking at our current crisis and saying, oh, well, there's nothing we can do, let's change that and let's add, but there is something that he can do. So let's keep praying. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that this tremendous avenue of prayer is available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. And it is effective in all seasons, but as we've seen in this story, it is incredibly effective in times of crisis. And Lord Jesus, as we look at your example as you suffered so mightily on our behalf, as you wrestled with whether or not you could go through with this plan of salvation that would exact such a high price from you, and we see you wrestle with it, we thank you so much that you submitted to the will of the Father and that your spirit overcame the weakness of the human flesh and you drank that cup of suffering to the last drop thank you that that has set us free and that that punishment that our sins deserve was taken upon you in full paid for in full and that through simple faith in your sacrifice on our behalf in receiving you as savior that pardon for us is paid in full and we are adopted as children of the king I pray, Lord, that for anyone right now who may not have made that decision, please stir their hearts in that direction. And Lord, for all of us who have made that decision perhaps long ago, I pray that it would be even more real today as we thank you for it once more and as we turn our hearts to you in prayer. We pray that in these troubled times, Lord, lift our hearts and minds above these circumstances to see that you are still fully in control, that your strength is here for us day by day, hour by hour, and even minute by minute, that your angels wait to attend to all your children as we call on you in prayer, and that you are here to see us through whatever lies ahead in the days to come. And so, Father, we thank you for all of these provisions. Lord Jesus, we bless your name. And we thank you for your sacrifice. May we continue to walk in confidence in these days, knowing that you go before us. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.